morning in God's peace. Our first hymn this morning will be number 349, Not What These Hands Have Done. Let us begin our service in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Our scripture reading is found in the book of Psalms, and we'll turn to the 22nd chapter. Psalm 22, verses 23 to 31. And we read in Jesus' name. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them. That fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. And all they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this day thankful for the time that you give us to gather together in fellowship around the hearing of your word. O Lord, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today, that it would take root in our hearts and spring up a well of eternal life. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. We pray for those who are unable to be with us today, those who may be confined to hospitals, homes, or nursing homes. And we pray, O Lord, that you would deliver your word to them and fellowship to them. We also pray for those who are facing (coughs) hard times, be it illness or circumstance. We pray, Lord, for Jamie Aho, for Andy Thunberg, for Al Hapasari, for Lois Weary, Deb Mersu, Don and Bev Hagel, Linda Robbins, Steve Salo, Evan Candle, Barb Lund, Janet Blickenstaff, Dean Welter, Ron Wallace, Eugene Koskala, and Don and Vaisalo. We pray, Lord, that you would help these people. We also pray for those who mourn. And Lord, we remember the family and friends of our sister, Deb Thunberg, who passed away in the expectant hope of the resurrection of the body. And we pray, O Lord, that you would deliver that hope to us as we grieve her passing. We pray for her husband and for her children and for all those who loved her, that you would comfort them. We also pray for our nation, O Father. We ask your blessing upon it and upon our leaders. We pray for those who serve in our nation's military, that you would protect them. And the same goes for those who serve our communities. We pray, Lord, that you would put an end to violence and terrorism and war throughout this earth that as the hymn writer writes, you would bless our foes and cause all eyes to see that peace, O Christ, can only come from thee. Lord, that you would be with those who are suffering in Ukraine and Russia and those who are in Israel. Um, We ask, Lord, that your, your hand would be upon all of those situations and you would bring an end to it. We pray for your word as it goes forth throughout the world for missionaries and for pastors and for preachers that you would make provision for it that by your spirit Jesus would be lifted up that repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name that sinners would be brought to repentance and that you would convert those who do not believe and confirm those who do in the faith that you have given us we pray Lord for our community that your blessing would be upon us 
We ask that anyone who is abused or suffering from mental illness or sick or hungry or in need of a vi visiting, that you would put them before us, that we may minister to them. We pray for our church here, for our leaders, for our board members, and for our pastor, for our husbands and wives, for our marriages, for our children, for our families, for those who are single. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our fellowship and our time here together and bless us. We commend this service into your fatherly care, praying that in your mercy you would hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now hear us, Lord, as we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our next hymn will be number 366, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Ah. Uh -huh. 
I bring you greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is found in Romans chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 11. That's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And we read in Jesus' name. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh, a, maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, we were en if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was 19 years old, not long before I went to seminary, actually, maybe that fall, that winter before, um, or I think it was 19 anyway, a few years before I went to seminary, I got in a car accident. I was driving um, in my dad's car in Battleground after hanging out with some church kids. We went to Applebee's, and um, I was driving down SR 500 in um, Vancouver, Washington. And um, I was not used to driving in Vancouver, and I thought SR 500 was like the interstate, but it wasn't. Even though it had a few lanes, um, I happened to be in an area where there weren't any lights, and I got on SR 500, took a sharp corner, and gotten up to cruise control speed, and all of a sudden there's a red light and backed up traffic. And so I went into the left lane, and I ended up rear-ending someone. And it actually ended up being good that I rear-ended someone, because if not, I was about to go into lots of cross traffic. Um, and I um, got a ticket for that accident. Speed too fast for conditions. And it was like $350. And I had just wrecked my dad's car. I can't afford to pay this ticket. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to take it to court. I was 100% guilty of going way too fast for conditions. But I took it to court. And I had a little bit of a defense, I thought. You know, there wasn't a a red light, I didn't ever see the warning that there was a red light because it comes before where I had gotten on. And I had this great story to tell the judge to expect to be let off of this um, ticket that I got. And um, once I got up there, I was ready to say my piece and I had this speech worked out, but all of a sudden the judge did something that shocked me. She said, you know what, this ticket isn't filled out correctly. Case dismissed, unless you have anything to add. And of course, I said, no, I have nothing to add, Your Honor. And the case was dismissed. I didn't have to give a defense. I didn't have to do anything. The case was just dismissed. And when, when, when Paul says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, when he uses that word justified, he's bringing us into that courtroom setting, that courtroom understanding. 
I was justified based on the verdict of that judge, even though I was guilty. And that's really the type of situation that Paul brings to mind when he says, when we are justified by faith. That in the same way, we're justified by the verdict of God. Not because we didn't commit the crime, not because we aren't sinners, but because he has declared us to be justified. And we didn't even have a case, our case isn't even thrown out. We're fully acquitted. You know, I just got like a dismissal. If the cop would have filled out the ticket, I would have been dead to rights. I'm sure of it. Because I was going too fast for the conditions. We are guilty as sinners. But Paul says we're justified by faith. That is that since we believe in Jesus, since we have faith in him, God declares us to be righteous, to be innocent, to be blameless in his sight. And he says that this verdict gives us peace with God. That when God declares that, we have peace with him. Now, Luther acknowledges something that I think is quite profound, that this verdict brings us peace with God, but it also does not, but, but what it doesn't do is bring us peace with the world or the devil or our own sinful flesh. In fact, it does the opposite. When this verdict is declared, we are now enemy number one of the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. That now um, there is peace with God, but there's enmity with the world. That there's strife going to be in our relationships. Paul says that because of this verdict of justification, we have peace with God through Jesus, and that by Jesus we have access by faith into gr the grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That idea of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, the Greek gives it the sense of rejoicing in our glorification by God. That re rejoicing in the fact that one day we know that he's going to change this um, corruptible flesh, this sinful flesh, into perfection. Those of us who may be dealing with illness or trials, it's not, there's not a guarantee that it's going to be made right here on this side of life. There's no guarantee of healing of, of wounds or illness or healing of relationships. But we know that in the resurrection that all of that will be made right. And that's what our hope is in. And Paul said that when we stand in this grace based on that verdict, that we rejoice in that hope. That that gives us cause to rejoice now, even though things aren't always going to be perfect around us, even though we have peace with God and strife with the world, no matter what's happening to us, we get to re-hope in that glorification. We get to hope, rejoice in the hope of that glorification and knowing that one day God will make all things right. And he says, that's not the only thing we rejoice in. He says, we also rejoice in our suffering. Because God is at work in our suffering, too. Um, that's what glory and tribulations mean, that we rejoice in our suffering. Now, that is a hard thing to hear. How many of us, when we go through suffering or tribulations, how many of us, is, is it our knee-jerk reaction to, to rejoice? It's not. But that peace with God, because of that peace with God, based on that verdict that God gives us, we have cause to rejoice even when things aren't going our way. In fact, even when things are bad, because we have that hope in the, in glo in the glory of God. We have that hope in understanding that one day he will make all things right. We have hope that knowing that our suffering isn't for no reason, that he is at work in it 
to strengthen our faith. This is how Paul puts it. And not all only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That God, by his Spirit, has shed his love into our hearts. And that because of that, we can rejoice, knowing that our suffering is working in us hope. And now Paul, um, he goes off on um, a famous rabbit trail of his, and it's one of the best rabbit trails of all time. Because he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, a lot of times we as Christians hear things like this, and we hear it so often that it's like, okay, great, how is this good news? But listen to what he says. That when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we did not have the strength, at the right moment, in due season, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. And that's you and me. That he died for us when we did not have the strength. And he says, for... It's rare in our world, and I'm paraphrasing, that one would die for a righteous man. And yet some might even die for a good man. But God, he shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in our world, it's very rare that someone would give their life for a righteous person. Some might give their life for a good person. But Christ, he gave his life for what kind of people? Well, we were yet sinners, he gave his life for us. Unrighteous, ungodly, ungood. He shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Again, bringing up that idea of the courtroom verdict, that we are justified, we are declared righteous on account of the blood that was shed for us, on account of Jesus dying for us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And now Paul just appeals to simple logic in his argument. That if we were enemies, if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. How is it going to be for us now, now that we are reconciled by the death of his son, now that we are declared righteous, now that we have been given that burden? We shall be saved by his life. How is God going to treat us now? If he died for us when we were ungodly, now that we are righteous in his sight, how is it going to go for us? It's going to go very well, essentially is what Paul is saying here. And now, as um, some might say, he, he brings the rabbit back. You know, Paul's kind of famous for his rabbit trails, but he kind of gets back on course with what he was talking about. 
You notice he said there's two things we rejoice in so far. The first is the hope of the glory of God, and the second is in our suffering. And now he give us, gives us something else to rejoice over. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our suffering, and now we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ on account that he has given us the atonement, that he has shed his blood to forgive us all of our sins, and that gives us cause to rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but rejoicing is something that, well, we do a lot of, right? We all have cause to rejoice in our life. And this might be a reality check for us. What are we rejoicing over? What is causing us to have joy these days? Is it the hope of the glory of God? Is it our suffering? Or is it in God through Jesus Christ because we've received the atonement, the forgiveness of our sins? Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself only rejoicing in those things rarely. And that's in those moments that the gospel is proclaimed to me. When I'm overcome by what I've done or overcome by my sin, I find in those moments I can rejoice. And those moments are great blessings when through God's law he reveals to me my sin, I repent, I ask for forgiveness, I receive it. In those moments I can genuinely say that I rejoice in those three things. But the vast, vast majority of my rejoicing is in things that don't matter. You know, we rejoice at accolades when someone does something for us or when something good happens to us. Worldly things that will pass away. We rejoice in pro over promotions. We rejoice over achievements that our kids have made or that we have done. Career goals. We rejoice when we get a big windfall of material gain. And, and I'm not saying we can't rejoice over those things, but those things don't matter. We rejoice when we get a lot of likes on Facebook or when uh, we get a lot of uh, views on our stories. What is more important? The opinions of others? The amount of money we have in our bank account? Our material situation? None of those things matter. Those things will all pass away. You know, it's a concern when we have more peace from how much financial security that we have than the eternal security that we have. Or when we have more joy based on our financial security than our eternal security. You know, what makes you sleep good at night? What keeps you up at night? Are you up because you're struggling with your sin you're struggling with let, let me lay out two situations for you you're unable to sleep because you've done something wrong and your conscience is bothered and you're unable to sleep or you're unable to sleep because you can't pay the bills both of those situations yeah they cause us to lose sleep but when 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 we um, find ourselves Garnering more, there's an easy remedy. There's an easy remedy when we're kept up by our sin. God gives us the gift of confession and absolution. 
for that very moment that we can have peace. And we can confess our sin to God, and a lot of times that will give us good sleep. But if it doesn't, we can go to a neighbor and hear the words of absolution and understand that we are forgiven for Christ's sake and that God has declared us just. He has thrown out that case against us and acquitted us fully, righteous in his sight. What's the remedy for when we're kept up by our lack of finances, our lack of money? Well, it's to try to figure out how to get more, right? And so much of our life is consumed by that. And I would say it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing when we find more peace in our financial state than we do in our eternal one. Because one of those things matters, and one of them does not. You see, the remedy for financial security, we would say, or insecurity, is that, okay, we got to work more to get more money. But I would say that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to throw yourself at God's feet and trust him to provide. Now, that doesn't mean that we be bad stewards of what God has given us, that we mismanage our money, that we don't try to get ourselves out of financial holes. All of that is good. But so often we forget that God is the one who gives us all things and that when we pray, when we trust, it's not like that financial problem is going to go away, but he will help us and provide us with opportunities. He does equip us and help us. We are not alone. And when we find our security in the things that we have, we're like that rich fool. Remember the story of the rich fool who has a great harvest, a bumper crop, and he starts to plan for his future, not realizing that his eternal soul is at risk. And we don't want to be foolish in that way. And so we find that our peace does not come from our situation on this earth, but it comes from God. And when we have that peace with God, we can weather any financial storm because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, what matters is that God has declared us righteous. And on account of that declaration, we have peace with God. Yes, it means that there will be storms of life, that there will be trials and tribulation, but we can rejoice in those. And in fact, those nights when we're kept up by our finances, I challenge you to rejoice that you have that problem. Scriptures say it. Glory in your suffering. Rejoice in it. And know that through that, God is at work. That God is at work. How can he be at work in the fact that we don't have money to pay the bills or to buy food? How can you say that? Well, what does he tell us that suffering works in us? Patience, hope. I'll tell you what, the times in my life that I was kept up by my finances, I remember... Many times. When I was in seminary, I, um, uh, there was, it took me a lot, when I first got there, it took me a lot longer to find a job than I thought it would in the UP. And I finally found a job that was just temporary, doing political polling. But I remember, even when I got that job, I would, um, I would budget $10 a week to live on, as far as food goes. And what I would do is I would go to the dollar store, and I would, they had the spaghetti with meat sauce. And I would buy like three cans of that spaghetti sauce, and like three or four packages of noodles, and I would make this massive pot of spaghetti, and I would eat that all week. That was the only thing I ate all week. And there were multiple times when it's like, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out for me. I don't know what to do. 
and it worked out. He provided. Sometimes it might be in the generosity of others or in opportunities that come along that you can take up. But in all of those situations, God is forging something in us. In all of those times where we know that we can't do it, either financial or spiritual or whatever, God is working in us to show us that he is in control. And that one day, it might not be this side of heaven, he's going to make all things right. And when our hope is not in this world, when our hope is in God, then what can the world throw at us? Because we know that one day he's going to make it right. No matter what illness we're diagnosed, no matter what problem we have, one day he's going to come and make all things right. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the world to come. Our hope is in the glory of God by the Holy Ghost who has shed that love abroad in our hearts. So no matter what trial you're facing, and I, don't, I know you don't have to name them all or go through them all, you can get through it, no matter what stage you're in, because you're not alone. And even if things turn out as poorly as you think they might, even if the worst happens and you lose your house, you lose your job, you die. When your hope is in God, you will not be put to shame. Because no matter what happens, he's got you. And on the last day, he will have you and raise you to life eternal. Peace with God means enmity with the world. And we should not be surprised when that enmity comes. And we also don't need to be surprised when that enmity is put to an end. So we can rejoice today, no matter what we're going through. Because our hope is in God. Because he has declared us just in his sight. Because the case that was against us, no matter what defense we had, it pales in comparison to the blood of Christ. And that covers us completely. It covers you completely. All your sins are forgiven, washed away in his precious blood. And on account of that, you will rise to new life on the last day and not have to experience that enmity, not have to experience that warfare, but instead live in perfect peace and rest in Christ Jesus, your Lord, in the new creation, in paradise, where none of those things will be a problem anymore. Our hope is in God, not in this life. So be at peace no matter what you're going through because God has you and nothing can take you from him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you. We come before you this morning rejoicing, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, rejoicing in our suffering and rejoicing in you through our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us the atonement, the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now lift up your head and your heart and receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. A couple of weeks, a weeks ago, Pastor Nick referenced this hymn that we're about to sing, Before the Throne of God Above. It was composed in 1997 and has been sung in many churches since, um, but we thought we would try that today. Before the Throne of God Above. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, we'll have the organ play it one time through so you can get the melody in your head before we sing. Most high God has 
Good morning, everybody, in God's peace. Thank you all for coming and sharing this hour with us. Uh, announcements for today are Wednesday night supper at 5.30, worship service at 6.30, men's group three serves coffee. Then next weekend, Spruce Grove is holding their spring services starting Friday, March 1st at 7.30 p.m., Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday at 11 and 1.45 p.m. Guest speakers are Chuck Bilkis and Scott Nematello. Then next Sunday, it'll be Sunday School at 9.15. Worship service with Holy Communion at 10.30. Group 8 serves be a potluck lunch. And then we have a presenta presentation by John Karen for the Gideons, which will happen now. Okay, John. On our Wednesday evening Lenten services, we're, we're going through um, a sermon series on witnesses to Christ, and I gave homework for those who would attend next week, and it was next, this coming Wednesday, our, our, um, the witness we're going to be talking about is Malchus, and the homework was to figure out who he is, so if you'd like to join us on Wednesday night, um, you can do that homework and figure out who Malchus is. And now, um, you guys probably know John Karanen, he's going to give us a presentation from the Gideons. Good morning. She was on the FBI's most wanted list. Mary Kay Beard was a notorious safe cracker and a bank robber. She and her husband were hardened criminals. She was eventually arrested and locked up in an Alabama jail. There she found a Gideon Bible and shoved it under her mattress. Eventually she took that Bible out and was drawn to a verse in Ezekiel chapter 36 which read, a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put in your heart, and I will take that stony heart out of your flesh. Quietly, on the floor of her cell that night, Mary, Gay, Mary Kay surrendered her life to the Lord. God had saved her. She felt the problems of the other prisoners, especially their loneliness. She is blessed that God used her to start as an instrument to begin Angel Tree Ministry, helping prisoners and their families draw closer together. I'm going to burn this book. That's what a college student named Rob said to a Gideon who was giving away New Testaments on a college campus in New Jersey. Rob was very upset that God's word was being made available to students on the campus. He yelled at the Gideon and asked argumentative questions, but he really wasn't interested in any answers. When the Gideon gave Rob a New Testament and challenged him to read it, saying it would change his life forever. He, Rob took that book and said, I'm gonna burn it, and then he left. The next year, the Gideons went back to that same college campus for another distribution. A young man approached the Gideon and asked him, do you remember me? My name is Rob. The Gideon who had spoken to him the year before said, I definitely remember you. The student apologized for giving the Gideon a hard time and asked for his forgiveness. And then he said, I read that New Testament 
and accepted Christ as my Savior. The Gideons International receives incredible testimonies like this on a regular basis, and that is why we serve, to see people turn to Christ after reading a Bible or a New Testament. The Gideons are an organization of born-again professional and Christian businessmen who are members of local churches. Since 1899, our purpose has been sharing the gospel with people around the world and bringing the lost to Christ. Today we are in about 200 countries, territories, and possessions and print scriptures in 108 different languages. As members of local churches, Gideons visit congregations to let you know how God is using the seeds that we are sowing. By God's grace, we placed over 70 million scriptures last year alone and have given out over 2.5 billion scriptures in total. You may be interested to know that we have an avenue of distribution to the young people of America. This program, facilitated through church youth pastors, involves in-school peer-to-peer distribution to, by Christian high school students to classmates of an attractive booklet called The Life Book. Since 2010, over 50 million copies of The Life Book, which contain either the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, have been made available to Christian youth to give, distribute to their peers. The promise of Isaiah 55:11 does not return void as men, women, boys and girls come to Christ after reading a Gideon Bible. An assurance of hope. After Anne's husband gave his first church presentation, a woman from the congregation came up to her <clears throat> and asked if she could speak with her privately. They stepped into an empty Sunday school room and the woman began to cry almost immediately. She said her son had been killed in a head-on car accident just a few years before. The community had prayed for that family without even knowing them personally. At her son's funeral, the local pastor encouraged the pastor and the family. Just a few weeks before the crash, her son had attended the pastor's youth group and had surrendered his life to Christ. Together, the pastor and woman rejoiced, knowing that her son had a cherished place in heaven. Later that week, she began going through the backpack of her son and found a testament from the Gideons that he carried with him all the time. Her son had signed that back salvation page. This testament also renewed her faith and is now one of her most treasured possessions and provides a constant assurance of hope, knowing that her son had committed his life to Christ. It's easy for us to obtain Bibles in this country, but it's hard for us to understand how precious a copy of God's Word is to many people in countries around the world. A few years ago, Gideons from the United States traveled to the Philippines to help local Gideons there distribute testaments to schools in the poorest parts of the country. There were many times when the teachers there said this was the only book, that, the first book any of these children could call their own. Many others said that they were going to use this as a textbook in their schools in order to teach them how to read. When Gideons travel to distribute scriptures around the world, they pay for all of their own travel expenses. We have blitzes in major cities in the United States and in major cities around the world, where Gideons from all, 
all over come to saturated area with God's word. Sharon and I have been on blitzes in Minneapolis-St. Paul and in Fargo-Moorhead. So you might ask yourself, how can I help? What can I do to help distribute God's word? Your daily prayers for the Gideons International are vital for our ability to continue to put the word of God into the hands of a lost and dying world. Please pray for a steady flow of funds to come in, to purchase and place scriptures, and for open doors in communities and countries that need them the most. Also, please pray that we would have more men join the Gideons International in order to help meet the growing need of distributing God's word around the world. As Gideons and Auxiliary members, we have many different ways we can participate. When people are asked if they're interested in join the, joining the Gideons, most of them say, oh, I couldn't get up and talk in front of the church. Giving church presentations is only one of the way to serve the Gideons, and it is not a requirement. We place Bibles in hotels, motels, hospitals, and convalescent homes. We also distribute New Testaments to students in schools and colleges, to prisoners, police, firemen, medical personnel, as well as men and women in the armed forces. We can also distribute scriptures at county fairs, vacation Bible schools, and blitzes, or hand out testaments on a one-to-one -one encounter. We also visit pastors and churches in our area to pray for and encourage them. Some people feel they are too busy and don't have time to give to this ministry. We have one camp meeting a month and we have offer a Saturday morning prayer time, but you're not required to attend these. As you can see, there are various opportunities for people to serve within this ministry. One of the best things about the Gideons is that husbands and wives can be serving together to bring the word of God to those who need to hear it the most. If the Lord has spoken to you today, you will have the opportunity to provide scriptures to be placed by Gideons locally and around the world. You can make a check payable to the Gideons International, use the credit card insert in your bulletin, or use the QR code scan to scan on your mobile device or simply give a cash donation. Every dollar you contribute will go to purchase and place Bibles throughout the world. Each New Testament costs about $1.50 to produce and each Bible is about $5. The average motel Bible is made available to around 2,300 people in its six-year lifetime. You may also become a friend of the Gideons by going online and registering there. Mike was a broken man. He was addicted to drugs and to alcohol. He went to the doctor. While in the waiting room, he saw Gideon Place Bible tucked away on the bookshelf. As crazy as it sounds, he felt that book calling to him. He didn't think twice, but got up and grabbed that Bible and opened it. In the front of the Bible, he saw the page that said, help in times of need. That spoke to him. He went to the scriptures and every word he read connected directly to the problems he was having. He couldn't stop reading it. Even during his exam, he couldn't stop thinking about that Bible. He thought of taking it home, but you couldn't steal a Bible, so he left without it. But the longing didn't leave him. It persisted. 
Trying to think of what to do, he called a nearby Gideon and told him of his experience. The Gideon told him to go back to the doctor's office, take the Bible. Mike was baffled. Don't worry, the Gideon assured him. We'll replace it with another one. He went back to the doctor's office and took the Bible. God's word saved him. And now he is a Gideon. Now Mike takes personal worker testaments to the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. His testimony is a picture of how the beautiful work of our Father can be accomplished in the most broken of people. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to share about the Gideon's worldwide ministry. We're simply an extended arm of your church, witnessing to the lost and distributing God's word across the globe and right here at home. It's been a pleasure to participate in your worship service this morning. If you would like to learn more about the Gideons, you may see me after the service, or you could even call me at home. Thank you for your time, and may God bless you. And I will be at the back of the church with an open Bible to receive your offering after the service. I also neglected to, to mention that we do have a Gideon card display back there, and they are available, and you can use them. Uh, they're free for the taking. Just make a contribution to the Gideons when you use them. Thank you. Our next hymn is hymn number 430, In Thee, O Lord, Do I Put My Trust.
Confess.